there, and welcome back to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and it is a wonderful evening here in the Netherlands. Not too warm, not too cold. Actually, it can't be cold because it's summertime. But uh, cool temperatures, a nice day, and I'm ready for another show. Just like any other show, this one is also brought to you thanks to my wonderful community of patrons over at patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Uh, these are people that, with a small monthly micro donations, help me to do this work. Uh, some people think that I'm paid by the Vatican or by, by my bishop. <laughs> that is not the case. I have to do this. I can do this work because I can... Uh, raise my own my own wages um, so I, I'm very very grateful for that very supportive community if you become a patron you also get a little something in return I record a, a special podcast every week just for my patrons and you get uh, other perks as well if you want to know which ones and there are more coming very soon by the way I should tell you that in advance we are working on some I think very cool content that uh, the, the existing patrons and maybe also future patrons may enjoy. But if you want to know more about that, just go to patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Suddenly realize that this almost sounds like a like a news update about vaccinations. We're making serious inroads here, and we're doing really well there. Uh, there's a lot of good news uh, coming from many countries. Uh, here in the Netherlands, we pick, really picked up the pace. We were trailing behind compared to the rest of Europe uh, a few months ago, but we definitely caught up. And I think yesterday the final. Um, tier of of uh of people were invited for their vaccination so everyone who is now 18 years or older is uh, able to make an appointment for the vaccinations which means that if of course everyone gets their vaccination we will soon have uh something that approaches herd immunity for the time being of course because we know from the uk and i've got some listeners there that are very worried the delta variant is uh, making new victims, despite the fact that people have received their vaccinations. Apparently, this variant can break through some of those, uh, um, well, some of the resistance. Um, but all in all, even if the Delta variant can, in some cases, uh, reinfect people that already had COVID or have been vaccinated, uh, it's still going to be much, much uh, milder compared to if you've not been uh, vaccinated. Um, vaccination willingness here in the Netherlands is super high. It went from, I think, 60% or even less than that a few months ago to more than 90% right now. I think people are coming around just because we see the effects. We see how quickly the country is reopening again and how especially the number of people that are in intensive care or are uh, that are hospitalized because of covid that is very is declining very very quickly encouraging uh, we're not there yet we need to stay prudent um, and of course there's always the risk that after the summer holiday when everybody comes back from you know the countries where they celebrate their vacation well, that will get a new a new spike uh, but 
we're getting more and more grip on the situation. Um, and the vaccines, of course, can always be adapted to variants or hopefully always. Um, so I'm confident that we'll get over this. Now, let's hope that this is going to be a global thing and that the rich countries will, will come together and help the countries where, you know, like I'm talking countries. I should say continents where almost no one is vaccinated. If you look at the continent of Africa, uh, like only a few percent of the people have been vaccinated, which is also a huge problem, not just a problem for the countries of Africa, but also a potential danger for all of us. Because if the virus can just go around, it can ultimately mutate and, uh, and get back to us. So anyway, but let's stay on a positive note. Things are going much, much better, and we're slowly starting to look forward again to relatively normal life. I'm very much looking forward to my vacation. We've been um, uh, looking for a, a place to go to, and as usual, I've got three other priests, that, and I always join them on vacation, almost always. Uh, but there's, there's this ritual where for weeks we look for a country to go to, uh, then we want to have a, a home, a cottage that we can rent. And and then it's like the rest of the world is also looking for a place to stay. Um, so ultimately, I think at first we would go, we wanted to go to Italy. Then it became France. Then it became Spain. Then it became Portugal. Then it became Spain again. And now ultimately we are going to end up in France, uh, which of course makes me very happy because I like... Uh, very much the French language, the culture, and the French cuisine. <laughs> and I've now offended all my French-speaking listeners. Je m'excuse. How <laughs> do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. I am so enjoying Loki. <laughs> it's a great series. You know, it's surprisingly philosophical. It's all about, you know, Loki ending up in a, a certain place where he's no longer in control. And there seems to be uh, an organization that is in control of everything. It's like omniscient, uh, able to control all events. So it's very meta. And then Loki, of course, is torn apart because he's always uh, longing for control. It's, it's a kind of a very deep psychological need to submit other people to his will. Um, and, well... There may be a lot of daddy issues involved, who knows. But the thing is, he's no longer in control. And now it's Loki, who is always robbing people from their freedom, who is now <laughs> fighting for his own freedom. And he, you know, so this is a, there is a, a philosophical discussion underneath uh, about, about time, about determinism, about free will. All that in a super entertaining Marvel series. I never thought that I would see the day. And, of course, it's brilliantly acted. I am such a fan. Um, so I'm enjoying that. I'm also catching up, finally, on The Bad Batch, which, of course, is the 
kind of semi-sequel to The Clone Wars, which is excellent. It's a lot of fun. I love the action of the, of the episodes. It's very well paced. Um, and even in some cases, I think they, they kind of salvage characters that I did not like that much in, in The Clone Wars, but they get more depth here. And I don't know, the, story, the overall storytelling is so much better, even, even better than The Clone Wars. Clone Wars was good, and I enjoyed it very much, but there were always a few clunker episodes where it's like, eh, kind of feels like filler, or I'm not sure about this this character. Or, um, but with the Bad Batch, I've just been loving every episode that I've seen so far. Uh, so that bodes really well for the future of Star Wars animation because I think there are lots of, of of other stories that they could tell, maybe with the Bad Batch, maybe other characters. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Obi-Wan, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is currently uh, filming. And I recently learned that they have wrapped filming for the series about Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett, which really surprised me that they're already done with that. So so much Star Wars to look forward to. Now, if only we could get some news about a, a new theatrical release. I really, really, really want to know what they're going to do. I, I want to know more about the movie that uh, uh, Waititi is making. Uh, but also, I want to know about where is Star Wars going from here? Are we going into the future? Are we going back to the past? Are we going to uh, develop a story or maybe a series in, in, in the era of the Knights of the Republic. Um, what are they going to do? Or, or maybe we're, we'll just stick with the time frame that we're most familiar with. Why not? There are so many other stories that you could tell. Um, gosh, these are wonderful times to be a Star Wars fan and a Marvel fan for that matter. I'm still hoping to go to the Star Wars Celebration in 2022 in Anaheim in the United States. And if I'm there, then I hope that I will also be able to go to uh, the Star Wars section of, of Disneyland. I so want to see that Millennium Falcon. <laughs> um, I also watched um, the uh, animated movie, or at least part of the animated movie, Raya and the Last Dragon. This was, I think, originally supposed to be a theatrical release. Instead, they, they launched it on Disney+. Plus. Um, and at first, you had to pay extra. It's like what they did with Mulan. You have to pay almost 30 bucks, I think, and then you can watch it. Uh, which, of course, if you watch it with the entire family, it was actually a bargain, because normally if you would go to the theaters with the entire family, you would probably spend a lot more. Plus, you can make your own popcorn. So that alone saves you a small vacation. <laughs> but um, but this one now is, is uh, after these for initial weeks where you had to pay extra for it, it's now... Uh, released for everyone who is subscribed to Disney+. Plus. And I am very, very surprised by the quality. I did not hear much about this movie beforehand, um, but the quality of the animation is wonderful. But the story is also surprisingly uh, good and deep and daring. Uh, it's it's a, a, a pretty complicated... So the, in, a, in a nutshell, uh, this is a, a story about a world that used to be unified, but then uh, there was this evil, and, and everybody turned into stone. And the dragons, this was also a world full of dragons, but also the dragons were, were turned into stone, except for one dragon. And the, that one dragon put all his life force and, and magic and whatnot into a gem, a stone, 
and the stone started eradicating all the evil again. So, but then the whole country fell apart uh, because there was one part of that world that was supposed to guard the stone and the other parts of the world got jealous. And so that's how the world became fragmented. And when we enter the story, so I've only told you the kind of the, the setting, uh, there is an, an attempt and an effort to bring everybody together again. And what I applaud the writers for is that it's not that easy. And that first attempt fails. And, and then you get that whole quest of, okay, how are we going to save the world from this division? And it, it, it stars uh, children, um, but it actually also deals with surprising, surprisingly mature themes. And the story is not a cop-out. It doesn't make it like a super simple fairy tale. As long as you find a dragon, all will be, will be well. No. It's, it's, very, it's very layered. And I, I think that's, that's wonderful. I, you don't often see that in children's movies. So, and, and, and then, gosh, the animation. It's so wonderful. The only thing lacking are songs. This movie could have been a wonderful musical, but there are no songs, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, well. So, um, highly recommended. Raya and the Last Dragon. And now we visit the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I want to talk about uh, an experience I had very recently in the city of Sir Togan Boss. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. And while I was saying that, I all of a sudden got a cramp in my upper left leg. <laughs> This is probably because I've been training for my marathon. I've got I've, I've got to run the marathon of Rotterdam in October, so I started my training this week, and I may have been overdoing it a little bit. So I ran a few five k's, and yesterday I ran a ten k, and then this morning, or actually today, I was on my feet for most of the day as well. I didn't really run, but I did a bike, and I worked in the backyard. Um, so I think my leg is letting me know that, uh, I need to slow down a little bit. So, <laughs> wow. Okay. Not, nothing to worry about. Um, so this past Thursday I had, was it my first day of shooting or is this already? No, this is the second episode that we're filming. So I'm filming my, um, the next season of my TV show on Dutch TV and, uh, the idea of the show is that I travel by bike to all these different places, villages and cities, and I, I, I meet people, uh, mostly from a Catholic background. Um, and then I, they have a story to tell, otherwise they wouldn't be in my program. So, so uh, last Thursday, I went to the city of Sertogenbos, or Den Bos, as they always say, uh, also say here in the Netherlands. 
where I visited the Franciscan family, and I say that on purpose because it's not just the Franciscans, it's not just the, the Capucins or the Clarist uh, sisters, but this is a monastery in the middle of the city, very close to the railway station, where several groups of Franciscans have uh, come together and, and share their chapels, share their prayers, but do um, live their specific Franciscan charism, which is quite rare, and it's not at all what they were planning on doing, actually, as is the case with a lot of congregations in, in our European uh, countries. Uh, also, the number of Franciscans is dwindling, although you'd be surprised to see how many young people are still a brother or sister in the Franciscan tradition. But nevertheless, on the whole, it is a, a shrinking a group of, uh, of religious. And so they were actually starting to think about moving out of uh, the, their current monasteries. Uh, now the Franciscans have a number of, of uh, houses and, and monasteries in, in the country. And they recently, they wanted to move out of Am the Amsterdam one because it was too big. And so they were thinking about just getting a very small uh, space to live in, uh, which would, of course, also save them a lot of money. And, uh, but all of a sudden, something happened. Uh, the Capucin uh, friars, um, so the Capucins are a, a brand, you could say, of Franciscans, that when the Franciscan movement started to evolve, uh, in some cases, uh, you know... The, the, the adherents of the order started to make choices that were maybe not as radical as the ones of their founder. And so the Capucins, in a certain way, wanted to go back to the original charism of, uh, uh, of St. Francis and uh, kind of went hardcore. <laughs> they used to have a big monastery in the city of, of Den Bosch. Uh, what I loved about that monastery is my parents lived uh, very close by. So when, when I was in seminary, I often went there because their chapel was open every day. And there were always priests for confession. And uh, since I did most of my studies, or at least half of my studies in Belgium, uh, it was wonderful to also be able to just go to confession in the Netherlands and just be able to speak in Dutch, which makes it much easier uh, to talk about your, you know, your the things happening on the inside. And, uh, and I just love the fact that you could just walk in and you could ring a bell and there would always be uh, one of those uh, fathers um, that would, would walk in and, and, and have all the time in the world. Um, I have very, very good memories of, that, uh, of, of, uh, of those confessions. But those Capucins were getting very old. And also for them, the monastery was way too big and also old, unwieldy. The, the, a number of these uh, priests and friars needed also medical assistance. And so they wanted to sell the monastery. And the monastery is beautiful. It's, it's huge. It is in a prime location of the city. So they wanted to sell it to uh, an entrepreneur who was going to make student apartments in it and would buy it for millions and then all of a sudden, it was actually a lay, um, well, it's, it's a third order member. So the Franciscans also have uh, a third order. So you've got the 
brothers, the sisters, and then you've got the, 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 the third order, which is lay people that also want to follow the rule of St. Francis in their lives, but without becoming consecrated religious. Of course, I need to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, I'm still having some side effects of the, of the hay fever. Um, so there was this couple... And both had already made their vows. Actually, in that, in the chapel of that monastery, when it was still occupied by the by the Capucins, so the uh, they heard about this plan of selling the monastery, and then they they talked to the Franciscan brothers and said, "Well, maybe you should all move in here. This, and and maybe you know we've got some other smaller communities." What if we all live here in the middle of the city? And that's what happened. They were able to buy the monastery, and now they've been there for three years. And I know actually quite a few of these uh, brothers. Um, so uh, already last year, I, I approached them. For, can I, you know, make a documentary about your uh, your new life there? And they were they were very honest. They said, "We don't think we're ready yet. We're, we're still." getting used to this life, we're getting used to this city, we don't know exactly what, what God wants us to do, so just come back in a year, which I did. And things are very different now. Um, you can feel uh, a certain harmony. Uh, what I like is that, for instance, there are Clarist nuns, and uh, Clarists, of course, they are followers of, of, uh, of St. Clare, who was a contemporary and a good friend of, of St. Francis, but she has a different rule, and their life is much more contemplative. So it's all about prayer and simple labor. Um, so they have a, a wing in the monastery where they can live that life. Um, and then you've got the friars, uh, you know, the regular Franciscans. They um, have a life of prayer, which is slightly simpler. Um, and they also have a ministry outside of the monastery. So some of the priests are running a parish, uh, but they also work with the homeless people in the city. Um, and then you also have one Capucin uh, friar who didn't want to follow his his uh, fellow Capucins to the uh, house, the home for the elderly that, that they had bought. Um, he's a bit of an artist, so he, he paints, and he was on the younger side, so he, he too lives there in Sertogenbos. And then you've got the lay people that live there. And so I, I stayed with them for an entire day, and you know what was so beautiful? What, the first thing that struck me was they are all wearing their habits, which was absolutely not the case 10 years ago, especially Franciscans were uh, kind of... I don't know, they were more um, socially involved. And uh, there, there, there's been a generation of, of Franciscans that were not very much in favor of wearing the habit. They, they felt that it was getting in the way of their, you know, their pastoral work. But the younger generation, uh, and this is the case with the Clarists as well as with the Franciscans, they have deliberately chosen, again, to wear the habit and to also go... Uh, walk the streets like that and um, what I loved was what they told me they had a small chapel this was like a meditation chapel not their big chapel and uh, the, one of the friars said I was praying there and there was this, this window in, and it's a tiny little room it's, it's very very small so he was praying there alone and then the sun was shining through that window and he, he said it was almost as if 
as if the world was inviting me to step outside the monastery and to go bring the light to the to the world outside, which is what he did. And he invited a fellow Franciscan to walk with him. And that was all. They would just go walk outside for about an hour and and meet people and just talk to them. And of course, they because they are wearing the habits, lots of people will talk to them or sometimes yell at them. Everything is possible. But they they I followed them. I went with them uh, on their daily walk. And I was amazed at the quality of the conversations that were taking place. And people were asking, like there was this one homeless person and he was looking at a statue, statuette. I think it was statuette of of St. Anthony of Padua, is also a follower of St. Francis. It was like, so but why is he carrying the, the infant Jesus on his on his arm? I thought that was the Virgin Mary who did that. And so there was this nice conversation with the story, you know, how, how that came about. And then uh, we walked a, a little bit more, and then we talked a little bit more, and there were two ladies that were... Uh, all of a sudden, they wanted to share their experience of walking to Santiago to the to the friars, and it was so simple. And at one point, we were walking. It was a super hot day. It was like uh, ninety degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 30, 32 degrees Celsius, and we forgot to bring water with us, and we still had to film quite a bit. And then we're in the street, and this lady approaches us from the other side of the street, and she says, "Would you like an ice cream?" And we were like, yeah. <laughs> and then she had a, a bag full of ice cream. And she gave us like these pear ice creams, like water ice. Super, super nice. And 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 she said, I just, I love seeing these monks in the streets. And I thought they may, they should be thirsty because they're wearing, you know, these, these habits and whatnot. And, uh, you know, if I... I can bring these ice creams home, but they'll probably be melted by the time I get home. So here you go. And then other people that were sitting at, on a terrace, they were witnessing that. And they were complimenting the ladies. Like, that is so kind of you. That is so wonderful. And uh, We should do that more often. It was like this whole love fest all of a sudden in that street. Um, and it was such an amazing experience. And I remember that two years ago, I was in that same city. I was filming an item about Pope John the Twenty Third, I don't even remember why I was there, but anyway, I was so I was filming. I had a camera crew with me that day, and then after I did my presentation, this lady uh, walks up to me and says, uh, a little bit with a cynical tone, like, "I never thought I'd see the day." And I ask her, "What do you mean?" I never thought I'd see the day that a priest would actually leave his church and be here in the city. And you could feel that there was hurting. She was hurting. So I asked her, well, why is that so strange? I mean, I'm, I'm often in the streets and I, you know, I, why not? And then she said, well, I, I was brought up a Catholic and, and most of the priests were horrible. And, 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 and they always wanted us to come to church and we had to pay and whatnot. But when my dad was dying and we asked for a priest, the priest said that it was past his bedtime and he didn't want to come. And a story like that. And, she, and it had scarred her for life. And she was so hurt. And, she was, and then, you know, afterwards, 
once you're hurt, you may be extra, you know, sensitive. And so she's like ranting to me, well, why are priests never where we are? Where we, why are they always in their churches? And they should be here. This is where the people need them. And, and they're not here. And I resent that. And I don't, I don't believe in the church anymore. And she was so angry and so, uh, so hurt. And, and it, it broke my heart. It broke my heart. And then two years later, I'm walking in the same streets with these two uh, Franciscan friars, and they have a smile on their face, and they're kind and gentle, and they take so much time for the people. And, they, and sometimes they talk about soccer, and sometimes they talk about faith, and, and sometimes they have very, very personal uh, conversations with people. Um, and, and it doesn't matter if someone is a junkie or a or a, a rich person shopping there, uh, they will make time for everyone. And, and for me, that was a, it was one of those moments where you realize this is what my faith is about. This is what my life should be about. It's about encountering people, making friends, sharing friendship, being, the, the uh, brother John said to me, well, I, I, I try to be God's smile. I thought it was such a wonderful way of putting it. I, I'm trying to be God's smile here in the streets. And and uh, he said it's it's so amazing just having a smile on your face, greeting people. I mean, nine times out of ten, you get a smile back and people will talk to you. And, uh, and, 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 and if we encounter people that suffer uh, or that in, are in, in trouble, sometimes we can actually help them in, with our monastery. Uh, so we invite them to uh, to visit us, and sometimes we just pray for them. So the being in the streets also has been a great source of of prayer for them, or uh, an inspiration for their for their daily prayer. It was a wonderful day. It was a really wonderful day, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. Pack it. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Books, books, books. I love reading. I wish I had more time and more energy and it wasn't so incredibly hot because it's just too warm to do some reading. However, I did read a bit from a book that I started a while ago written by the famous Marie Kondo this Japanese lady that has helped people declutter their life and reassess their possessions and looking at things not just as a thing, uh, as a possession, as a monetary value, but as something that can spark joy in your life or doesn't and, and just clutters up your life. And it's a, it's a very good starting point for people that want to... It's not just about decluttering your life, but... but, but but loving the things that you have and liberating yourself from the things that weigh you down. It's, it's all about, I think it's also kind of connected to the, is it Shintoism? Or there's a, there's a kind of religious undertone. But I think it, you can transpose it to our culture as well and, and maybe even give it a, a Christian uh, from a Christian perspective, you, you could say the same. When Jesus invites us to to follow him without many possessions, you know, not save up all your money because you know you may die tomorrow. It's it's all about simplicity, and and Jesus is not against 
good things. Otherwise, he would have turned wine into water instead of water into wine. So Jesus was not opposed to, to feasts, to not even to possession, but he always challenged people to serve God before anything else and to let money serve you and serve your neighbor. So love people and use things. Never use people and love things. That's going to mess up your world. So um, so I, I was listening to uh, a sequel book, um, which is called Joy at Work, Organizing Your Professional Life. And she co-wrote it with Scott Sonnenzein, or I'm not sure how you pronounce that uh, last name. Um, and it's all about apl- uh, applying the principles that she uses for, you know, your home to work. And I w- it inspired me enough to clean up my entire uh, workspace here. So uh, decluttering everything. And she, she said something that I know to be true. If you have a clean desk, even if you didn't even sort your papers, but just getting them off your, off your uh, desk and putting them in a box to be sorted, that alone will start freeing you up. It will clear your mind. And that is what happened. Uh, I had so much administration that I needed to uh, look at. And and it just freaked me out. Sometimes I, I there's just too much and I don't know where to start. It's like email. Sometimes you have like a thousand emails waiting for you and you're like, I'm just going to give up on email. But that's not a good solution normally. So the trick is... Um, Put everything into categories. You know, this I need to follow up on this. This is for archiving, and this is for getting rid of, or maybe evaluating once, and then I'll, I'll throw it away. Just having three piles uh, for everything already cuts everything in 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 three. So it makes the pile of this this you know being overwhelmed makes that feeling a little less. And then it's all about baby baby steps. Um, it's it, it's a bit what I talked about last week in the walk. Uh, if you're in a rut and you don't know how to get out of it, start with the simplest things. Just brush your teeth. That alone can can give you a certain sense of accomplishment. I brush my teeth, and then you do. You maybe you make your bed. Start with that, and that will get you into a flow. And the same is true with email uh, administration. Instead of at Asking yourself, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Just start with something. It doesn't matter what you start with, but you'll get into the flow. So that's what I did. I started to organize my papers, put them in three piles. That alone was enough for me to kind of calm down. And then bit by bit, I started to attack the most uh, urgent ones. So I was like, I, I need to make some decisions when it comes to the renovation of the house. I need to do that now. Let's do that. And I'm just going to spend half an hour and in half an hour, it was done. The thing that I'd been procrastinating for more than a week, it was just done in half an hour. And I felt great. I didn't feel miserable at all. I was so relieved that I'd, that I'd done it. So that gave me more courage to attack the rest. That is how it works. So if you want to have a, a little you know, nudge in the right direction, check out Joy at Work, Organizing Your Professional Life. Uh, she also talks about how to organize your email and your, you know, your digital desk. Uh, but I'll talk about that some other time. It is uh, time to dive into the world of science. The scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. So we've been talking a lot about going to Mars and uh, how 
these these Mars rovers, the Chinese one, the American one, are doing a tremendous work and are giving us so much new information and it's all of course hopefully to prepare a manned mission to mars and maybe ultimately colonization of mars uh maybe not this century but it's cool to see that we are actually working towards that however i was very surprised to hear about missions to another planet that is surprisingly similar to earth and yet couldn't be more different and that is the planet venus Venus is known to be uh, a planet that is in size and composition very similar to the Earth, but could be its evil twin. Um, the atmosphere is extremely dense. The temperatures are uh, scorching hot, and the, the atmosphere is filled with poison, basically. Um, the last mission to Venus was in the 80s? I recall something when I was in high school, um, and I, it may have been a Russian probe, I'm not sure, and there was actually a photo from the surface of Venus, and it looked so terrible. It was, it was just an ugly planet, ugly, so ugly. It was just dirt and rocks, and, and it was a very grainy picture, and then they would also tell you about how poisonous and how dangerous it was and then most probes even didn't last very long because of the pressure and etc and now they are thinking of actually sending some more probes to mars but this time equipped with high resolution cameras and they really want to uh gather a ton of information that we don't have and one of the reasons one of the motivations to go to venus is that Venus is actually quite similar to Earth. So how is it possible that, that planets that are in the same well, comparable orbit, same kind of composition, are so different? Um, and, of course, there is always this nagging question in the back of, our, back of our minds, and it's also true for Mars, are these planets what we are going to become? If, if, the, if the planet, for whatever reason... Is not going to be sustained. It's not going to be able to sustain itself. Our, will our oceans evaporate? Will uh, our, our our air become unbreathable? There there is a lot to worry about. But of course, if you look at the the age of the solar system, some of these planets may actually show us what is lies ahead of us. Maybe I don't know a million years from now. Who knows? So it's always interesting to study other planets because it will also tell us more about our own planet and about its very, very precarious balance that we have that enables us to live. And we see more and more the danger of, of this balance being f f perturbed and, and the effects are uh, sometimes hard to predict. But... There is so much scientific research that is showing us that the, the world is getting hotter. There's actually, there was a, uh, a uh, research paper, um, I think it was NASA actually that published it the other day, uh, proving, this is not just a theory, it's, they have proof that the Earth is, is um, absorbing more heat than ever before. And... So, of course, the, the, our ecosystem 
uh, it absorbs heat but also radiates it back. And, and But now the Earth is retaining more heat than it is radiating. So that alone is, is, is uh, making the world heat up, which in turn, of course, makes the sea levels rise, which will probably ultimately lead to the fact that where I currently stay in Wageningen will be uh, at the shore. <laughs> because most of the Netherlands is underwater already. Um, yeah, scary, scary. Uh, father, uh, father, <laughs> Pope Francis, I should say. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's also, well, he's a holy father, right? Um, he uh, did a TED Talk not so long ago, I think it was in April, um, where he addresses these worries. And he uh, relates it also to the, well, to the, the the moral aspect of this, this is not just a scientific problem that we need to solve or an economic problem. This is also a moral problem, and uh, he explains how uh, we have there is a moral imperative, which means imperative. It means it's obligatory, it's compulsory for us morally that we have to act on climate change, um, and this is not just a doomsday type of talk. It, 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 Pope Francis, I think, does a good job explaining how the current changes in climate uh, affect the most vulnerable people on the planet. Um, and it is causing ecological catastrophes in, in large parts of the world that we barely register because we don't live there. We don't have that many journalists there. Um, these countries are poor. They don't have much to offer us, we think. And so we tend to ignore what the what climate... We, we c complain about hot summers and about the weather getting more and more extreme every year. I mean, just look around. It's happening. Uh, but it's nothing compared to what some of these poorer countries are suffering. And Pope Francis uh, invites us to, to, well, to broaden... Our, our conscience to include these brothers and sisters that were not as lucky as we were to be born in rich countries where we can mitigate the, the heat by just turning on the, the air conditioning. <laughs> but countries where people are literally starving uh, because nothing grows anymore and because you've got these insect plagues also as a result of, of climate change, etc., etc. It's, it's an interesting talk. It's a TED Talk, so it's short. And it's very concise. So even if you don't want to read Laudato Si, which is the encyclical letter that Pope Francis wrote about these same uh, problems, go check out this, this TED Talk. I mean, just because it's a TED Talk by a Pope. That is something, right? The link will be in the show notes on fatheroderick.com. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device, and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Yes, there is one more thing. Windows 11. It is just around the corner. This Last week, it was only a rumor. Now, we have proof that... Microsoft is going to bring us uh, Windows 11. It's not going to be Windows 10X or something like that. No, they're literally leaving the number 10 
behind. And they're moving over to 11. I think actually, marketing-wise, very smart move. Because we are in a stage where we want to turn the page, you know, after this pandemic. It's time for something new. And so it makes sense to change from Windows 10 to Windows 11. Um, the reason that we know that this is coming for sure is that uh, a, an early build of the operating system has leaked onto the internet and many people have already installed it on their computers. And I've watched a few YouTube videos that give a demonstration of all the new features and the new looks of Windows 11. It is a bit more Mac-like. They got rid of the start button, which was surprising because the start button and the tiles, they were such a staple. However, honestly, I work on it on a Windows PC every single day. And yes, I do click on the start button, but then I just type in in the search. That's all I use it for. I never, ever, ever, ever go through the menu. I don't even see the tiles anymore. The tiles are, are just complete. Not, I have never clicked on a tile. <laughs> it's really, Maybe I'm an exception, but let me know in the comments if, if the tiles are useful for you. But I'm so glad that they get rid of it because it's... It's a totally failed uh, UI uh, uh, um, feature. Um, so I, I click on the start button to find the preferences, stuff like that. But it's such a bloated thing. So instead, apparently, in Windows 11, we will get a centralized uh, menu bar, very similar to what Apple is doing in macOS. Um, and... Uh, well, I think there is still kind of like a launch button or something like that, but it is no longer does it have the tiles. And I think they're bringing back the widgets for instead of tiles, which to me makes such such so much more sense. We have widgets also on on uh, uh, our mobile devices. I have it on even on the iPad um, and widgets. You could just choose what you want to see, but these tiles, these auto generated tiles, they were so dumb anyway uh the um uh what what else did they show us well the file the file system is still there which makes me very happy it's one of the things that apple tries to always hide from at least from their mobile users i work on an ipad almost every day and i still don't think that the ipad has a usable uh, file system interface. F uh, I have it on my Android phone. Uh, there is an app where you can actually just look at the files. But that the problem there is that you see everything. Everything in the kitchen sink. Just like in Windows, where you can just open the Explorer and then you will see the entire contents of your C drive, including all those folders that are part of the system that you really don't need access to or I don't need to see that. So it's it's apparently very difficult to find a balance between giving you everything or giving you nothing at all. I would say just give me or maybe make it make it possible for me to just tell you what I want to see. Just like in Google Drive, I can turn or in, I think in Dropbox was the same. I can just turn certain folders invisible because I, I don't need them. I just need them for storage. Maybe something like that would work in Windows as well. I don't know about the details, but I'm excited that we get a new version uh, of Windows. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. And I'm already a fan of Windows as it is. And I would be totally happy if Windows 10 would be around for another five years. But 
hey, if things can get better, why not? I'm also curious to see the integration with the Xbox. Um, one of the demos I saw, a guy was playing Red Dead Redemption. Which, oh, no, wait a minute. I'm, I'm mistaken. Red, Red Dead Redemption is out on PC as well. So I was like, are, are you able to stream Xbox games? Um, but no, it's probably the PC version. Um, so, but yeah, if it gets a little bit more user-friendly and more, even more polished, uh, I don't mind if it looks a bit more like Apple because Apple is still king, I should say, when it comes to designing user interfaces, even though Apple doesn't always give me the kind of access that I, that I want, but yeah, it does a good job in what it does and with that ladies and gentlemen it is time to start wrapping things up thank you so much for listening if you want to listen to my other show Father Roderick to the Max I invite you to join the community of patrons over at patreon.com slash Father Roderick in Father Roderick to the Max I will talk about my upcoming marathon I will uh, give you my recipe for pasta a nice summer pasta salad and fajitas I will tell you how to make a poached egg in 90 seconds using just a microwave <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about uh, Amazon Prime show Invincible, which is about superheroes, but not as you expected. We'll talk a little bit about lit- liturgy and about games and technology. All that and more in Father Roderick to the Max, available to all my patrons. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day and talk to you soon.